Hi everyone, I'm Dee. And I'm Alex. And together, we're DNA. And you're listening to the DNA of Mindful Relationships podcast. You've heard the term intimacy, but what does it actually mean? Um, well, is it sex? Is it something more? I don't know. But let's explore that in this episode titled, Desperately Seeking Intimacy. Today we're talking about intimacy. What is intimacy? And how do you get it? How do you get it? (laughs) Where do you get it? Wow. Intimacy. Well, what is intimacy? Um, I guess a lot of people would think of intimacy as physical interaction. Is that part of it? Is that all of it? Yeah. Whenever I talk to people and they mention the word intimacy, I would like intimacy. I haven't been intimate in a long time. They are generally referring to sexual intimacy. And that's one component of it. But today, we, I'd like to explore a broader meaning of intimacy, um, and let's just dwell a little bit deeper into intimacy. And I love the definition of intimacy in the word itself, into me see, which refers to someone who, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a bit of a cold today, um, someone who can see into you. And, and get where you're coming from and, and see um, all aspects of who you are. Mm. Into me see. And that's what I, what I wanted to focus on today. Cool. Well, I like that. I, I didn't think of it like that. Mm. I thought maybe you're just into me, see? <laughs> nope. That too. That too. Um, I want to start with the, the dictionary definition of um, the meaning of intimacy. And essentially there are two. The first one is a situation in which you have a close friendship or sexual relationship with someone. That's the main definition that most people think about. The other one, the second um, definition, is that things that are said or done only by people who have a close relationship with each other. So it's like a, a unique connection um and something that only those two or few people would know about. Is that like pet names for your partner? Is it that could intimacy? be, yes. Like boo-boo? Yeah, because at the core of that pet name, <clears throat> excuse me, I, unfortunately I'm going to be coughing throughout this episode. I'll try and move away. But uh, yeah, at the core of those uh, pet names are um, the story behind why that's important to, to that couple. Or mm-hmm. that, that friendship. Let me just quote a very famous um, therapist, David Dada, who, if anyone is interested in um, feminine and masculine energy and sexual intimacy, David Dada is a little bit of a guru in that area. Please go and check out his YouTube clips. And this quote is from his book, The Way of the Superior Man. Let me read that out to you, Alex, and the listeners. The whole point of an intimacy is to serve each other in growth and love, hopefully in better ways than we can serve ourselves. Otherwise, why engage in intimacy if your growth and love are served more by living alone? 
Intimacy is about growing more than you could by yourself through the art of mutual gifting. Mm, gifting. And I think that's a beautiful concept because, um, you know, if we can do that just for ourselves, then we could live like islands. Remember mm. the island episode? I do remember that well. Yeah. But we're actually social beings and there is purpose to um, intimacy and the connecting with other people. And there's a gift that you give each other when there's true intimacy at play between you. So what, what, what makes a relationship an intimate relationship as opposed to a non-intimate relationship? I guess friendships would be non-intimate if you look at the definition. Well, no, because that definition would maybe reflect on a very close friendship too. It's just not doesn't have the physical element. Yeah, it would be like a spectrum um, of, say, we were talking about friendships here. Um, you can have friendships that are just for going out and having fun, going to the movies, going to parties, going to clubs, whatever, eating together. And all the way over to a friendship where you share the most intimate details of your life. And I'm not talking about the nitty-gritty. I'm talking about your feelings, your fears, your worries, your innermost kind of concerns with a friend. That's my therapist normally. Well, this, this would be mutual. That's the difference. Ah. And that's why we pay a therapist because mm -hmm. there's a, a social interaction there. But with um, intimate friendships, and, you know, these are very special and I, I believe they're quite rare. It's, it would be rare for someone to have multiple intimate friendships because it's, it's, um, it's hard work sharing mm. that level of intimacy and openness with everyone. Mm. So you're very blessed and lucky if you have one or two or three people that you can genuinely do that with. And um, <clears throat> I guess in, in what we call, you know, um, intimate relationships with someone of um, – like a, like a partner. I'm trying to think. I was going to say other. someone of the opposite sex, and then I Not thought, no, always. it could be the same sex. Mm. Um, but so, when you're in a relationship with your partner, you, you t to have that level of intimacy plus the sexual intimacy is the ultimate. Mm. Okay, so we're saying that there is a a physical part to intimacy. There's also a a mental. I guess, part to intimacy as well. Mm. So that emotional connection yeah, is me, intimacy on all those different levels. Let me go over what some of those are. Um, I might start, let's start with sexual intimacy. So um, being intimate is, a, is at the root of the word intimacy. But what does that really mean sexually? Um, because when you think about it, Sex requires making yourself physically quite vulnerable to another or maybe more, more than one. I don't know. <laughs> We're open-minded here at the sure. DNA of Mindful Relationships. Yes. Um, and it's a very, very vulnerable position to put yourself in. So it is an intimate kind of setting. Um, but gen um, generally there's not a lot of talking and sharing necessarily. There's lots of sharing. Of certain things, yes. <laughs> so there's the sexual intimacy that, you know, a lot of people are okay with and comfortable. There are some people that find that level of intimacy quite intimidating and scary. And um, 
you know, if that's an ongoing issue, it really, for them to form a, a you know, a partnership with someone and a long-term partnership, they may need to explore, get some help to explore the reasons behind, you know, the difficulties with the sexual intimacy. Mm. So, so sexual intimacy is, I guess you, for it to be sexually intimate, you mm. probably have had to have reached other levels of intimacy first. So, just having a one-night stand isn't necessarily intimacy just because you happen to be naked with someone. No, it is. That's the thing. Oh. Like You can have sexual intimacy with a stranger. Oh, okay. And that's what I'm saying. It's, it's like bizarre that we, you know, people do that and can do that. And, <clears throat> you know, this is someone you haven't shared your life story necessarily with or opened up, but you can have genuine sexual int- uh, intimacy with someone who's essentially a stranger because and unknown you're, to you, what physically vulnerable is it? Yeah, because you're 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 expressing yourself in a sexual, physical way with someone. There's a level of vulnerability, but it's purely physical and sexual. Hmm. Okay. Because in my mind, I wouldn't have equated sexual intimacy with like a one night stand. I would have called it a one night mm. stand. I wouldn't have thought that's yeah. intimacy. Well, I think that's kind of downplaying it. I don't know, you know, a lot of these raunchy kind of movies where, you know, often it is a one-night stand and it's a really hot scene and um, and it, it doesn't have to have more meaning than the intimacy in that moment, in that sexual experience. Okay, cool. So that in itself can be a beautiful experience. Yeah. And doesn't necessarily have to go any further than that. And that that's okay. But what I want to do is is expand that to talk about some other forms of intimacy as well. Mm-hmm. Another one that people may not think too much about is spiritual int- intimacy or a spiritual bond with um, your partner or a friend. doesn't count when you're screaming out, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's not it. Oh, God. I can't believe he just said that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we don't tend to think about spirituality in terms of intimacy, really. But to have to have a, um, a common sort of dialogue and bond around, you know, your spiritual understanding of the world and how the world works can often bring two people closer together. Um, you know, for example... Um, a belief that why don't we harm other people? Is it because we're scared of breaking the rules or, you know, the, of the law of the land? Well, maybe not. Maybe it's because we, we share a belief that, you know, life is precious and we don't harm other people because maybe when we harm others, we harm ourselves. You know, if you hold that kind of spiritual belief um, and you share that with another, it can bring you, you know, very... Um, close together and the bond can be based on that shared value of how you see the world and the universe and Mm. everything. But that's not even necessarily um, restricted just to spirituality, I guess. Your shared values on anything will bring you closer together. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the spirituality component, and you can call that your philosophy on life if you like. It doesn't have to have the word spirit in it because sometimes that can put people on. But your philosophy on life, when they merge and match and you feel safe that you can share that with your partner or a friend, 
um, it creates a, a, a quite a depth of intimacy in a way that maybe it wouldn't have otherwise. Yep. So that's another way um, or another definition of, of a type of intimacy. Um, another one, I think this is our third one, mm-hmm. and we'll have, I didn't mention we've got four I want to cover, but this is the third one, intellectual intimacy. Mm-hmm. So it, we often say, you know, we're talking on the same wavelength, connecting on a level that is quite sort of bizarre. It's like tuning the radio in to the same frequency. When you get each other, can you talk, you know, on topics quite safely? Whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. You don't have to agree on everything. You don't have to see eye to eye. But there's there's a wavelength of communication where you feel heard and understood, not necessarily agreed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear a lot of people say, you know, I wish I could just meet a guy who I you know, could have a conversation with. I guess that's what they're talking about, being able to connect at that level. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's lovely. Let's say you have, um, you know, you have a relationship where the sex is great. Tick. That's fantastic. Lovely. Um, and you do fun things together. But when it comes to conversation about, let's say, world issues or um, politics, you know, we've got an election coming up soon, um, a state election, and to be able to discuss, you know, ideas and, you know, that might not be your thing, but to be able to discuss that, share that safely and openly with with your partner or your friends is a very intimate thing to do. Mm. And in fact, we just had a conversation a few days ago with a friend of ours who felt that way about uh, a relationship that she'd been in there where she felt um, she that was the part that was actually lacking, where she was unable to have that level of engagement at an intellectual level, to have those sorts of mm-hmm. discussions. And what was that like for her? Uh, well, she felt uh, that there was a bit of an empty spot there, I guess, that they just couldn't connect at that level. Mm-hmm. It meant she couldn't engage with her partner and they couldn't, then from an intellectual level, get to an emotional level, I guess. Mm. So, and that's exactly it. Like, I'm not saying that you need to have all of these types of intimacies um, present in a relationship, but it's just good to think about um, how you can be intimate with your partner or your your close friends in in different ways. Mm. And that brings us to, to the last part that you just mentioned, Alex. Sporting intimacy, no? No. No? Okay. No, no. I know, I know we live in Melbourne <laughs> and sport oh. is big here. In fact, it's a big sporting day today. Mm. Um, something to do with horses. Mm. But it, this, this brings me to emotional intimacy or emotional closeness. To me, this is the, the deepest form of intimacy and, um, you know, it, it, it kind of um, transcends all the other forms of intimacy because this one if you can you can do this with with anybody if you have a connection at this level uh, it doesn't have to be with a partner it could be with you know someone you work with that you have a deep emotional connection to but i think as human beings we we um you know yearn for this level of intimacy we may not know how to achieve it but I think there is a deep human need to have this level of emotional closeness with somebody, with, um, you know, with people. 
So what exactly is emotional intimacy? Um, So emotional intimacy is about emotional closeness and it's like the ultimate way of being vulnerable and and you know vulnerability is about putting yourself in a in a very um sort of open position where you say this is who i am and this is how i feel and that sounds very easy but when sharing that kind of information creates a lot of anxiety or fear um, then people tend not to do that, which is really understandable. And that's why they you know, often go to a therapist. Mm. And sometimes it takes years and years and years before they can share that level of vulnerability. And it might be as extreme as um, someone who's been sexually abused and all the emotions and um, you know, the, the shame and the guilt and the anger and the fear of, of connecting with other people – takes years to uncover and unravel so that's one extreme and so people find emotional intimacy the scariest and the hardest one to kind of um to connect on on that level and at the very sort of the other extreme might be someone who um you know feels scared to just share a fear um and it might be a fear of you know looking like a fool so often, you know, public speaking is one of the hardest things um, and the greatest sort of um, forms of um, anxiety-provoking sort of actions you can take. Um, and, you know, public speaking can often um, release these fears about I'm going to end up looking like a fool and I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to be laughed at. I don't want to be in that vulnerable position. So often people avoid it. Mm, unless you're a stand-up comedian. Yeah, unless you're Alex. Mm, thanks. And he likes you. public speaking. Never. Yeah, and he doesn't have those anxieties. He, he probably does. I don't know. I'm talking about him like he's not here. Hello? Hello? <laughs> so, Alex, tell us. Um, how, how do you feel about public speaking? Oh, no, no. I, I love public speaking. Um, and there's always anxiety. I mean, I for, for the listeners out there who may not know, I've done stand-up comedy before. I've done theatre. I've done all that sort of stuff. So it, I think, you know, putting yourself out there in that situation tends to desensitize you after a little while. You never get over the nerves and you probably want to have some nerves. I think the day that you stop having nerves means you probably don't give a damn. Mm. Um, so I think it's, it's like meditation. You know, those messages come in your head when you're trying to concentrate and you can't stop them. You acknowledge them and you let them pass. Mm. The same thing with nerves. You acknowledge them. You go, yeah, that's getting me ready for a performance. It's a good thing. Mm. And you go out and do what you've got to do. So so there's a couple of levels to what you said. The first level is um, acknowledging it in yourself. Mm. You know, I am scared. I'm nervous. I don't, I don't want to stuff this up. This is important to me. And the next level, and this is where the emotional intimacy comes in, is sharing that with someone who you feel safe to share that with. Mm. So, um, and sometimes, you know, it might be sharing it with a stranger, like you're about to, to go up on stage and you share it with the stage manager that you've never met before. You know, so that's one way of managing, you know, that anxiety. It could be an intimate moment there between you and, you know, someone you don't know. But to be able to do that with your partner to say, I'm looking forward to, you know, this event. I'm looking forward to, you know, presenting in front of these people, but I'm shit scared. Mm. And I don't I don't want to stuff up here. 
And that opens up a whole other sort of pathway of conversation well, there that are many, maybe wouldn't have you know happened before. There are many major celebrities who you know admit that they have huge bag of nerves before they go out on stage. But I think one of the things that I find is, and until you do it, you don't know how you're going to feel, is actually being vulnerable. Mm. I think, and we should probably do a whole topic on vulnerability because I mm. think it's such an important thing. And it allows us to be our true, authentic self. And there is a freedom when you put yourself out there and, and you allow yourself to be real um, rather than having this sort of wall up around, you know, I hope no one finds my skeletons and this and that and mm. this is, I don't want to be attacked or anything like that. I think there is a real, um, there is a real sense of relief about being raw and out there. Mm. And it's not everyone can do it because you run the risk of facing attack, you know, by the media, whoever it's going to be in whatever situation it is. Um, but when you're talking about emotional intimacy, particularly with your partner, you should be able to put yourself out there and let your partner know who you really are. And I think that's yeah. important. And the emphasis is on the should. You should be able to. Mm. But I think it's quite scary for a lot of people um, because if you think about how you were brought up, and most people were not brought up in households where this was encouraged, where you could share quite openly your fears and your worries and your concerns and your doubts about yourself in an open and safe and loving manner. So what did we do? We covered them up. We, we, we hid them. We pretended like, you know, they didn't exist. We swept them under the carpet. And, yeah, I'm trying to think of all the other well, like- metaphors for hiding your emotions. And that's what we did and we live with those for, you know, um, for decades and decades. Mm, but I think it's like, you know, if you've got a bit of a crazy family, you know, and you think, oh, my God, I can't let my friends or anyone else know what goes on in my family. You know, I've got my weird uncle and I've got this and that the end of the day everyone's got the same sort of things going on and mm. this is the thing that we have we feel that we're the only ones going through something or we're the only ones who you know experience this so to share it would be embarrassing mm. but when you do you find other people have the same thing i mean it's all about the human condition isn't it that we all we all share a lot of the yeah. same experience we might come to it from different perspectives but when you put it out there you actually find you're not alone and I think the best thing you can do and, and you know, aim to do is to um, befriend your fears. And if you have a fear of um, public speaking, to really, rather than running away from it, is to, you know, to really acknowledge it, face it. And I'm not saying force yourself to be on stage, but acknowledgement and talking about it and exploring ways that you can overcome that fear in, in tiny little steps is a way of feeling less vulnerable. Mm. Um, and look, the, the other benefit to emotional intimacy is, and this is where I'm going back to the David Data quote or um, from his book, is that, <clears throat> excuse me, is that um, there's, a, there's a side benefit, the mutual gifting that, that leads to growth, to emotional growth. And I think that the more emotional intimacy we have with people, and particularly a partner, and because we spend the most time with our partners, really, 
um, the more emotional intimacy you have and that you can create, the more healing that comes from that to do with your past childhood wounds. So if, for example, if in your family, and I'll use my family as an example, I hope they're not listening to this, <laughs> um, but I doubt it. They don't know how to use a podcast or a mobile phone. Um, for example, if in your family and my family, um, we didn't really talk openly about feelings in general. We talked about happy things, um, but we didn't really deal with our anger and our, you know, share our fears. And, and so I grew up not really having a voice for those negative emotions. I couldn't talk about it. I didn't know how to articulate it. And having emotional intimacy with another, it's like practice that, oh, um, there, here's someone that's actually mirroring how I feel about myself and about life back to me because they're really listening to me. They're getting what I have to say. They, you know, they don't have to agree with it, but they're really hearing it and connecting with it. And it actually heals that part of you that feels like you were never recognized and never heard and never um, acknowledged as, as a human being. Mm. And I'm not saying, you know, people don't do this on purpose necessarily in our childhoods. It's just um, the way that they were brought up. So there's no blame attributed here. But the more emotional intimacy you have in your life, the more healing and the more, um, you know, personal growth that you develop out of that. And through that, you can achieve a, a lot more things uh, that, that you want to achieve for your life. And whether that's, you know, starting a new business or doing, you know, stand-up comedy is something you've never done before or, you know, just taking a risk in life um, makes it a bit more comfortable and, you know, creates a bit more security when you've got – you're more open about your emotional vulnerabilities. Mm. All right, so let me... Okay, so we've got physical intimacy. Sex. There's that. <laughs> we've got intellectual intimacy. Yeah. We've got spiritual intimacy and we've got emotional intimacy. Now, to have a successful relationship, say, mm. do you need all of them? Do you, are there any that you can't really have a great relationship with if one or two of them are missing or any two or is there anything like that? That's a, that's a really good question. And I have to say you don't need all of those types of intimacies in one relationship. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think you need at least one of those. I'm Probably not sure. It doesn't one. have to. Ne I'm not, and I'm not even focusing on the sex necessarily. But you do need to have at least one um, for there to be a connection that that could be long lasting. Mm. And it could be simply a lot of couples are together for many many years based on um, their you know spiritual intimacy or their philosophy you, on life. I was going to say financial intimacy. <laughs> well, yeah, like so, it, you know, it might be related to that mm. as well. That's practical stuff, but. It could be their philosophy on life. You get married, you have kids, you raise your kids um, and you do it within a particular religion or faith and that's their connection and that's fine and there's an intimacy related to that. But if you don't have all those um, forms of intimacy in your relationship with your partner, you can, you can seek that in friendships mm. except for the sex. 
That's the one area that might be a little bit difficult unless you have an open relationship. Yes. <laughs> Was that a yes to the open relationship? What? Who? What? <laughs> no, well, that's if you're trisexual. Try anything once. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that look, that, that's, that's for another episode, I think, open relationships and, um, you know, how that can impact on your relationship. But I don't think you need, you know, all of those. Um, a level of emotional closeness, obviously, is necessary. But true, the true depth of intimacy that you may not have in your partner, you could find in a, in a friend, whether it's, you know, a girlfriend or a mate. Mm. Um, but can I ask you a that's question? That's okay. Here's an interesting one. Mm. So if you're in a relationship with someone and you find, is it okay to have emotional intimacy with someone else? I think if your partner is comfortable with that, mm. yeah. So if I, if I said, hey, wife, I'm having emotional... Are you married? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm having emotional intimacy with a co-worker at work. Are you okay with that? Um, well, nobody talks like that, first of all. No, <laughs> probably not. But look, if you if you were to say that, um, you know, you, you work with this friend, you work with this colleague, and you're having conversation, you're just sharing, you know, your, your worries and concerns about where the business is going, that's, that's not very threatening to the other partner. Mm-hmm. And as someone who's very secure in who they are isn't going to see that as a as a bit of a you know warning sign or a red alert. If you were to say, "I was sharing my worries and concerns with my colleague at work. She happens to be this gorgeous, attractive woman to me, and I thought about you know becoming more intimate with her on another level." That's that's a whole other story. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. Is it okay within if you're in a relationship to have other forms of intimacy with other people? Is that okay? And there's obviously it's okay to a point. And what's the line that you yeah. cross? But you know you can have um, you know emotional intimacy with a coworker where you can talk about stuff that bothers you and things that are important to you as long as you don't cross that line. But you know the, you you hear about people who are having affairs in their own mind. They have never gone to the the physical level, mm. but they're still having other levels of intimacy. So does that cross a line? I just found that a really interesting yeah. kind of... Well, I, I think the line is crossed when you start talking about sexual things. And that's very different, which, you know, that's very different to sharing your feelings mm. about things. I and mean, you might be sharing your feelings about your marriage, or your, you know, intimate relationship with that person. But you cross the line, I think, because in our culture, in our, you know, sort of Western culture, it's not okay to be sexually flirting yeah. with another person yeah. when you're in a monogamous... Monogamous? Monogamous. Monogamous. I think it would be monogamous. <laughs> yes, relationship with someone. So, yes, there is a line. There's always a line. And then, you know, the flirting, the verbal flirting can go further and become... Um, sexual advances, and clearly you're crossing the line there mm. unless you have an open relationship. Yeah. So in answering your question, Alex, you can have those levels of intimacy with other people, um, but there is a line. 
Yeah. And you need to know what that line is for you and your partner. Mm. Yeah, well, it's really interesting, you know, because most people think of intimacy as a physical thing. Mm. There are all these other areas of it. And um, it's good to know that you can explore intimacy in different ways with your partner and with others. Mm. And if, you know, another example might be that you, um, you know, have an interest in Buddhism and you know, Buddhist philosophy and you, you go to their talks and it's not something your partner shares with you, but you go and talk to other people about, you know, that kind of philosophy on life and that's okay as well. Mm. As long as that is open and, you know, um, discussed with your partner, it's not something you're doing in secret. So, of course, you can be intimate with other people in the sense that we've just been talking about, you know, sharing of yourself. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the sexuality, I think our culture makes it very, very clear mm. where that line is. And it might be slightly different in certain relationships. So there are some people, and I, you know, I've spoken to, to friends and clients, where even someone talking to someone of the opposite sex outside of work is a no-no. Mm. And that's you know, crossing a boundary. And that's something you need to know about in your relationship where that boundary is for the other person because yep. that might cause a lot of friction. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to start singing then. No. I, I fed that line to you. Which what, what song? Which one? There's a fraction too, too much, much friction. friction. No, I wasn't going there. I wasn't going there. Intimacy. No. <laughs> Sorry. No, no good. I, I got embarrassed. I couldn't join in with that. Oh, all right. We'll do a karaoke episode right. one time. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode. That's been very interesting discussion, intimately. Um, I have to go and get my intimate apparel. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think that's where we're going to leave it. We've been intimate enough. I think so. All right. So that's it from... D. And A. And we will catch you next time. Bye for now. If you like this episode, then please consider subscribing to find out whenever a new episode drops. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, that's a little purple button on your iPhone, iTunes or Stitcher. You can, of course, go to our website at www.thednaofmindfulrelationships.com or our Facebook page, where you can like us and share our show with your friends. Send us an email to info at thednaofmindfulrelationships.com and ask us questions or give us feedback or maybe suggest some ideas for some upcoming shows. We look forward to catching you next time and until then, stay mindful. Stay mindful.